from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Tuesday, February 5th, 2008, day 94 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, I head out to the picket lines to talk to strike captains Steve Scroven and Patricia Carr at CBS Radford Studios, and then Alan Katz at Paramount Studios. Today's series of recordings follows the weekend's news that the AMPTP and the WGA had reached a tentative agreement. But when I went to the WGA official website and UnitedHollywood.com, both were reporting that there was a media blackout surrounding the negotiations. And when I showed up to the lines, the writers were standing firm on that point. Let's hear what strike captain Steve Scroven and Patricia Carr had to say. All right. <laughs> I'm at the picket line with... Steve Scrovan, uh, Radford uh, strike captain. And the turnout today is much better, even on my 6 to 9 shift. And I can tell it's probably better on your shift, yes, too, it than it has been all last week. And I think it just shows that despite all the rumors and all the possibility that, uh, you know, this could all... These rumors could not be true, that the core of this strike is still intact. People are weary, but they're coming out in force. And if this, in fact, is the final run, it would be great if we had uh, the numbers that we had that first week where there was excitement and, and if for no other reason, just people coming out for closure and say goodbye to all the friends they've made on the lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how would you characterize the resolve today? The resolve? Well, it's, you, you can tell how windy and cold it is, and people Reasonable. are just out there doing it. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we call this the Zen gate here. <laughs> well, because we, we just, you know, it's, it's, there's no traffic light. It's a nice steady pace. Uh, I know quiet. it's quiet. We just, you know, not a lot of trucks come in, not a lot of, uh, honking and it's just people just marching in a circle yeah. and kind of, uh, with that quiet resolve and it's kind of neat. All right. So we're not really supposed to talk about what happened over the weekend, but can we talk about why we can't talk about what happened over the weekend? <laughs> What's your name? Why can't... Whoa. Uh, Patty Carr. Hi, Strike Patty. Captain. Hi. Why can't we talk about... Why, why is there talk- a media blackout? Oh, and now you're going to ask me that. I was just asking why there's a media blackout. I don't know why there's a media blackout. <laughs> I'm... Uh, that's why I... I think there's a media blackout in order to not negotiate this thing in the press. Okay. And so, you know, obviously it's there's humans involved and there are going to be leaks and people are going to be telling things, you know what I know, and then rumors get started and sometimes the rumors are, are solid and sometimes they're just ephemeral. But I think in, in order for the contract negotiations, they at least have to pretend that they're in a media blackout negotiating with each other, even though word gets out and rumors spread. I'd like to call it agreeing to negotiate. I think if everybody agreed to negotiate, there wouldn't be any need for a media blackout. And uh, I, in the past, the media blackout has not served us well. And I, I oh, how not? I don't understand that. I think the last one we had in December, when they were in a media blackout, there were leaks of rumors of how close we were to it being over, and then we weren't close at all. And it, and it was just meant to demoralize people in terms of getting their hopes up and then disappointing them. Uh, before the holidays and that kind of thing and it can be used as a negotiating tactic that is not 
not fair and certainly not productive for us. So in that regard, I think it's something to be very cautious about. And, um, it, you know, it, it means that we have to, when we're in a media blackout, we have to remind our members constantly to be very aware that what they're reading yeah. in the papers... Or hearing on the radio. Or hearing on the radio, no matter what or this... Or on podcasts. Or on podcasts, whatever <laughs> it is, that the... The you know who is who is letting that information out and why are they why are they making sure that information gets out? So yeah. you just have to take everything with a, a grain of salt and come out anyway. As, as Steve said, it's a good sign that everybody has really come to understand that because they're not sitting home getting ready to you know go back to work, yeah. <laughs> you know readying their files and their scripts and things like that. They're out here because it's not over. Yeah. Okay. I heard it. Okay, first of all, I heard it on the radio, and then I, I read it online on latimes.com on midnight on Saturday mm-hmm. night, and then I saw it on the, in the Sunday Times front, front page, finally. Front page, finally. <laughs> they just found out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> LA Times had a lot of cutbacks. They just found out there's a writer's strike. <laughs> so uh, where was the first time you'd heard it? I heard Saturday morning that it was uh, in, in the New York Times. Oh, you heard it in the yeah. New York Times, yeah. I was hearing, yeah, Saturday morning, uh, a friend of mine was was hearing things Friday night uh-huh. that that it was very close. And then Saturday morning, I think, was when I heard they shook hands. Okay, well, what's your hope? My hope is that we're, uh, we're done with this soon and we can all get back to work and uh, that it's a good deal. I think it's a good possibility it could be. I, I, I think all our efforts here have not been in vain. Okay. I'd agree with that. I, I hope I hope it's a good deal for us. I hope it's a good deal for SAG, too. Yeah. I hope that it turns into something that means we all go back to work and, and we don't have to go out again because I don't think there's there's no victory for our union if it's not for, for everybody and doesn't keep us just back on track. Yeah. Okay. My final question as we wrap this up, what is a more powerful invention for riders? Um, legacy notwithstanding, standalone technology. What is a, what is the more powerful invention for riders, the Internet or the printing press? Well, the Internet is just the latest version of the printing press. So for our, for our era, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's the Gutenberg Bible all over again. Anything that, I mean, that, that was the thing about the printing press is that uh, people could, a lot of people could get information all at once, and the Internet just does that quicker than the printing press but it's this, to me it's the same effect I'd agree I like I liked it when we did the cave paintings though <laughs> I yeah it was more pure storytelling you know <laughs> I, I, I've been around a while smoke signals was a big thing <laughs> when I started out and they don't do that anymore and uh, so the internet is is much quicker and and you can be much more articulate than smoke signals <laughs> Anything else as we wrap this up? Okay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. um. That was Strike Captain Steve Scroven and Patricia Carr at the picket line in front of CBS Radford Studios. Coming up is a conversation I had with Alan Katz, whom I interviewed way back in November. In this recording, Alan touches upon the relationship between SAG and its sister union, AFTRA, of which I am also a member. And it's important to know that last Saturday, as all the rumors were whirling around about the tentative agreement between the WGA and the AMPTP, AFTRA's board of directors voted to separately negotiate its upcoming primetime television contract with the major studios, without SAG at the bargaining table. 
According to the LA Times, this means that the decision, quote, effectively ends a 27-year partnership between the two unions under which they had jointly negotiated film and primetime TV contracts. It also could complicate key upcoming negotiations for actors whose contract expires June 30th, potentially allowing the studios to play off one union against the other, unquote. Now, maybe you've seen my rant on my blog, but I'm going to say it here for the record. I feel that an actor's guild or union should be platform agnostic. I've been told that this is impossible because of the purview of each separate union addresses the needs of that specific platform. However, I call fucking bullshit. This tired response is not an answer, it's an excuse. Maybe this serves more successful actors, but it doesn't serve somebody like me in the rank and file. As a background artist, I receive very little in the way of benefits from paying costly dues to two separate unions. In fact, in the over two decades I've been in AFTRA, I do not qualify for their health or pension plan, and it's only been recently, as of last year, that I've qualified for SAG's health and pension. Anyway, I digress. Let's roll sound with Alan Katz. Okay, so let's slate where we are, why we're here. What, what happened this weekend? Who are you and why we're here? <laughs> who are you? I ask myself every day. Like, okay. Who the hell am I? What the fuck am I doing here? Okay, first of all, let's establish that you're sick. I, am, I apologize for my voice. I have two children in, in elementary school and they bring home all kinds of stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, but you still, you still have your mind. Your thoughts and ideas. That has been debatable for a long time. <laughs> um, well, I guess you're here because... Because I heard a rumor. And see, that's, that's, it's, the rumor mill is a very dangerous thing. Let's talk about um, it. Of course, suddenly it got out in the New York Times, the L.A. Times, that suddenly a deal is imminent. Okay. From the beginning of this <laughs> labor action, the Writers Guild's negotiators, our leadership... Our, our negotiating committee have honored the press blackout. We have not violated it because we think it's very important. We don't want there to be a rumor mill. The negotiations need to, to, to occur with without the pressure of unrealistic and un, unreal expectations. Okay. So the fact that there was suddenly all this chatter about you know, optimism and good news and an end in sight, you have to ask yourself... Who's saying this? Yeah. And why? Well, I feel pretty safe in saying it's not coming from our side. It's most likely coming from the other side. Why are they doing this? Maybe there is reason for optimism. That's entirely possible. Or maybe, and again, part of the problem is that there's history. And if you recall just after Thanksgiving, it was reported far and wide that a great offer was about to come from the APTP. If you recall that. And what they actually handed to us was that rollback. A rollback. It was it was a it was a huge uh, uh, giant sized what, what what does McDonald's call them? The super sized shit sandwich. Which they wanted to then shove down our throats. And when we went, I'm sorry, but we we don't eat shit sandwich. Yeah, they, of course, wanted to turn it into us as being a bunch of belligerent, impossible to deal with lunatics, which was not the case. All right. So that whole expectation was created by their side. you got to keep in mind, most of us, we're writers, producers, 
we're not what they are, which is lawyers. And they are lawyers, especially Nick Counter is a lawyer. And all the people, all the labor lawyers that they have, they're lawyers. And part of a lawyer's tactic is to undermine you, is to divide and conquer you, is to put you on such a roller coaster that you will do anything to make the roller coaster ride end. Okay, they tried it then. It's entirely possible that this is another gambit of that kind. It's hard to take it too seriously, as much as one wants this to end. When there's history that says the optimistic talk is either uninformed, misinformed, or deliberate in its attempt to undermine our psychology. Well, that's hostile. That's hostile. Maybe I've just grown cynical over the course of these four months, however long it's been. The optimism is dangerous. Personally, I will not drink from that Kool-Aid container. I think it's interesting that there's been a media blackout, and then on Sunday, on the front page, there's a whole story about it on the LA Times, where before it was relegated to the business section. Right. And yeah, that's also a very good point. So, why? Who, who is... Who, why am I who, now finally hearing it in mainstream media? Why now? Yeah, who, who is generating this news? Who is making sure this news is making it to the front pages of the LA Times, the New York Times? And it was being reported on the radio, on NPR yesterday. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that, that you have to remember, and you have to take a deep breath and put it into perspective, is there may be the parameters of a deal. But until the language of the deal mm-hmm. is laid out in all of its uh, length mm-hmm. and detail, the parameters of the deal are almost meaningless because the devil in, the, in, in, in any deal is in the details yeah. of the deal. Yeah. And what has happened to us in the past, in all of our previous labor actions in 88 and 85, and all the little things in between, we would agree to a deal in principle. And then they would begin to change the language. And then to try to beat us into, oh, just accept the deal. What, you're going to change the deal now? Where it was never us changing the deal, it was them changing the language, which is changing the deal. So until the language meets our approval, Mm -hmm. there is no deal. So that you can dress up the deal however you want. Unless the language is the way it needs to be, there is no deal. And while one can be optimistic, you also have to be realistic. And right now, realism and healthy cynicism says we cannot stop. If if they think by getting us optimistic they can have their Oscar cast, they should be. You think that's what this is? It's two weeks away. It's two weeks away, isn't it? Their Oscar cast, two, two, three weeks away. They want that desperately. It's of vital economic importance to them. Explain to me why that's important. From the point of view of the studios, that they can... I mean, that one evening brings in a huge audience. It's usually, what, the second biggest audience compared to the Super Bowl? In which it's all about selling their movies. And then, of course... They can go out and sell more tickets and, and get everyone primed for, for DVD releases, and it's, it has such economic impact upon them. They saw what happened to the Golden Globes. It was a fiasco. 
That was an embarrassment for them. They don't want that. That would be totally, totally destructive to them. And I think that scares the shit out of them. And that's why maybe they're trying to get themselves toward a deal, but more to the point, trying to get everyone's optimism riled up that a deal is in place. So that, I think, is, is really what is in play, what came into play this weekend. Okay, let me take your emotions. Let me take your emotional pulse for a minute. Are you, what kind of mood are you in? Same as, as the last time we spoke. Which is? We are in the middle of a fight. Nothing has changed. This fight is ongoing. It will go on until such a time as a deal is agreed to. We will be walking on this line. Personally, I don't see it coming anytime soon. Yeah, last time I spoke, you said April. I still think that's entirely possible. I think it's entirely possible that it goes past that. This become that this, this could still turn even nastier than it already is. Uh, SAG has made it quite clear that if the deal that we agree to is anything like the DGA deal, they will not make that deal. And come July 1st, they will walk out. And they are so determined that AFTRA, which is a much more moderate union, split from them today. I, you know, I'm in both unions, and I've heard, I'm, I get emails daily from SAG, and I haven't heard shit from AFTRA. Well, because AFTRA is very moderate. AFTRA is to, to SAG with the DGAs, to the Writers Guild. It tends to have a more below-the-line mentality. Well, they, they think their needs are different. They don't, they seem not to think in the big picture terms that we are thinking and that SAG is thinking it. You know, I think SAG has said they will not take if, if, the, if, if we were to agree to a deal that was anything like the DGA deal they would not accept it and come July 1st they would go out okay how about some advice any advice for your brothers and sisters on the line into SAG do not drink the Kool-Aid yes of course we all want to be optimistic but we have to be realistic first and foremost and history should tell us everything we need to know which is until the deal is done and the language is the way that the language needs to be there is no deal so and more to the point the person who is telling you to be optimistic who are they and why are they trying to get you to be optimistic if you ask yourself those questions and the answers come back if it's not us telling you to be optimistic our side our leadership the people who have been in the room that information is suspect Never mind taking it with a grain of salt. Take it with uh, a vat of salt. Because this information is probably being given to us to undermine us and to undermine our determination here. The last time I saw you was in December. Have you been since I last saw you? In December? Yeah. It was the uh, um, scene of the crime rally. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Have you been listening? Uh, I, I've actually been there a couple of times. Okay. Maybe that's how come you feel you still have a connection. <laughs> well, you know, because I've, I've been off for two weeks because I, I had to sell my house. which I'm, I'm selling my house. It took two weeks to get it, to get things ready so we could get it listened and have people into, prospective buyers in to see it. Holy shit. It just it, it took a lot of time. It's a very big house. I'm sorry to hear that. Is this as a result of the strike? It is. Because uh, the projects that I had, they all, they're all on hold. I can't go out into the marketplace. And so consequently, and even if the strike ended today, 
I don't know what the impact will be on these projects. I don't know if any of them will get back on their feet. And if they do, how long it will take. I think even if we get back into business, I, I think there's been a significant change. Things will happen very differently. Certainly the TV side yeah. has been impacted yeah. profoundly. And how, how that business gets done has changed. I, I, I just it, It's going to take who knows how long once it's back up and running to get back up and running in a way that you could rely on. So your house is now on the market, which is a shitty time to be trying to sell a house. Is there anything that could save you from taking it off the market? You know? I could win the lottery. What are the chances? Should I go buy a ticket? Uh, you know, it's, it's just, I think it was just a prudent decision that I had to get made. You know, I, I mean, there's just no certain, there's less certainty than, than there was, and I think the country's headed toward economic chaos. So, Say more about that. Well, the Bush administration, in its infinite wisdom, has set us up for awfulness. You know, they're trying to stave off the um, recession that they have brought upon us. They're doing everything to make that not happen. And not even address it, not even identify it. As with the war in Iraq, they want to make it the next administration's problem, which is typical George Bush behavior. I mean, he's never responsible for anything. When his companies failed, it was somehow someone else's fault. All the companies that he took with his daddy's, daddy's friend's money, it was always someone else's problem. It's someone else's fault. He's trying to do the same shit now that the recession somehow won't be his fault and cleaning up the war will not be his problem we are probably already in a recession it's entirely possible that we will at some point slip from recession into outright depression it's entirely possible so I'm trying to if we can however much equity we still have in our house if we can get that if we can I don't know if banking is quite the right word because who knows if a bank is going to be a safe place for it and to ride out this storm on the sidelines, then it's cool. We'll do it. I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, How it is. Any, uh, anything you want to say as we wrap this up? Any? It was good to see you. Ah, that's sweet. Um, so I don't know if you've been listening. Do you know what my last question is? Oh, uh, well, I, I would never try to second guess you. <laughs> okay, well. I, I know you throw curves, so. Of course you do. <laughs> I'm not that sinister. Um, the question is... Um, it's not sinister, it's just it's good pitching. My final question is, and I don't mean to make light of your situation, I just want to take our focus somewhere sure. else. Um, you going to ask about the Lakers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kwame's a lovely guy, but we're not going to miss him. I want to talk about Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, well, that was a great game. Yeah, yeah. Um, as we wrap this up, legacy notwithstanding... A standalone technology. What is a more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press? There's similar things in different times. It's a real see. It's a great question. That's a curve. Well, the internet is just the the printing press of the electronic age. In the way that the printing press allowed information to hit the masses and the masses to become therefore educated. This allows the word to and not just the word but the image and everything that the image brings with it to the greatest possible audience in the shortest amount of time I think they're much of a muchness I don't think you can compare one to the other so 
they are exactly the same thing. But it's a, it's a cool question. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was great seeing you again. I'm really sorry. Always, always a thrill to see you. Sorry my voice sucks. <laughs> you have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.